Welcome to On Air with Amber Wynn, where nonprofit leaders learn to fuse passion and commitment with proven business strategies to create long-term funding, impact, and sustainability. And now, here's your host and resident philanthropreneur, Amber Wynn. Hey, fam. It's your girl, and I'm back. And I'm excited because we're still working on the grant series. And I have something special for you today. Actually, it's for the old heads, the Gen Xers like myself. You know, back in the day, we used to have these things called vinyl records, and we had an A side and a B side. Well, this episode is the A side, and we're going to be focusing on insider secrets. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about grant writing from the grant writer's perspective. And on the B side, I'm going to share with you insider secrets from the funder side. So if you guys actually know what a vinyl record is and you know that the A side was whatever that was popping and then the B side was something on the album, sometimes those B sides turned out really, really good. So let's jump into it. Like I said, today we're going to be talking about insider secrets. And um, I want to share with you a little bit about from a writer's perspective, what are the most important things that you should focus on? What are the most important things that you should be doing? But before we jump into all of that, you know how we do it. We're going to start off with um, something from one of our sponsors. So I'll be right back and then we'll jump in to the A side. Are you a nonprofit organization with 501c3 status? Are you using video to promote your cause and attract donors? If you answered yes to both of these questions, then the YouTube nonprofit program was created especially for you. The YouTube Nonprofit Program allows you to activate your cause, broadcast a compelling story, and launch an effective campaign via YouTube. The program gives nonprofits access to YouTube tools that most users don't get, an embedded donate button, call to action overlays, annotations, live streaming, and access to a community forum. So take advantage of this program for your nonprofit, and you can really see the results in your video and overall communications. Welcome back to On Air with Amber. It's your girl, Amber Wynn, philanthropist, providing nonprofit founders with the roadmap to long-term sustainability through consistent funding. Today, we are talking about all things grants. Um, in particular, we're talking about insider secrets from some of my success techniques as a grant writer. For those of you who don't know, the majority of my nonprofit career was as a grant writer. My largest grant was for $3.2 million. My most recent grant was for $3 million. So your girl knows a little bit of something, something about grant writing. And what I want to share with you is, you know, people think that there's some secret sauce to winning grants. I'm just going to bottom line it and tell you the secret sauce is really spending time with your content really spending time with it. Um, yes, there are some buzzwords. Yes, there are some techniques that you use. But at the end of the day, my most successful grants came because I had time to sit with it and, and edit and make sure that um, I caught all my mistakes, my typos. Um, but let's let's jump in. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is what I do when I get excited. All right. So what I wanted to share with you is research is um, where you're going to spend most of your time. And a lot of people don't research the grants. Here's the thing. You need to make sure that 
what you do as a nonprofit organization aligns with what it is the funder is trying to fund. A lot of times people will read like the first page of an RFP, which is a request for proposal or the guidelines and just start writing their grants. I'm going to caution you not to do that. You need to research and that means literally reading the call from cover to end. Because what happens is when you read through all of the instructions, most times you find out that there is something in that RFP that disqualifies your organization. So research is where I spend most of my time. And what I do is I take three highlighters and I outline all of the things that they require an organization to have. And then in a different color, I highlight all of the things that would um, eliminate an organization. And then the third color, I highlight all of those things that may give the organization a competitive edge. And I'm going to have to say probably 80% of the time, there's something in that RFP that disqualifies that organization. So if it takes between 20 to 100 hours to write a proposal, what you don't want to do is waste your time. And if you haven't read through the entire RFP to make sure that there is complete alignment, then you could be wasting your time and you could be getting rejected when clearly you don't have to be. It all lies in that little space called research, right? The other thing that I want to um, just emphasize is just to make sure that what you're writing aligns with the funder's goals. What do I mean by that? Typically, when people write grants, they'll, they'll do this. Our kids are this and that and that, and we do this and we do that. And, you know, with your support, you can support that. And, and that's not how you win a grant. How you win a grant is by aligning what you do with what they want, with their funding goals. And that's why research is important. And that's why making sure what you do aligns really well with what the fund is trying to fund. How do you... How do you position yourself? I position my grants by taking the verbiage in the RFP and intertwining it in my answer. So if they say, you know, for STEM, we want to increase the number of underrepresented students into the STEM pipeline, I use those exact terms. And people will be like, oh, you know, does, you know, don't you want to change it up? No. No, as a reviewer, I can share with you that it makes my job easier if I have the exact words from the proposal. Then I can check during the review process if you're hitting those points. If you say, you know, our goal is to bolster um, representation of African-Americans in, you know, the sphere, uh, like that is creative. But as a reviewer, we have a checklist and we have little numbers that say, do they hit this point? If you say the same exact words that's on those points, the reviewer can check it off as opposed to trying to figure out, does this fit in this section and this fit in that section? So I'm saying to you, don't reinvent the wheel. Give the funder what they need. Give the reviewer what they can use to check off that you've hit that point. The other thing um, I want to encourage you to do during the um, research portion is to look at the funder's website and see who they've um, awarded in the past because it tells you so much. It tells you, number one, what type of projects they've awarded. Funders typically have a sweet spot, right? 
Um, if they are into direct services or if they're into referral programs or if they're into um, counseling, like you can get a feel for some of the things that they fund. And um, if they're like all over the place, you can also see if your type of project is something that they funded. Right. And then also they may say that they're giving out an award for $250,000. But if you look at the amount that they typically give out, the, the ceiling may be 250, but when you look at who they've awarded, they typically give out 150,000. Knowing that is gonna increase your um, success rate. Because if you put it in at 250,000, but you only see one person or one organization that's been funded at that amount, it lets you know they feel comfortable with funding at 150,000. And here's the truth. Yes, you wanna get that grant for 250,000, but if you don't have any money, wouldn't 150,000 be just as good? I'm gonna say yes to that. So this is how we increase your um, success rate. Looking at that sweet spot that funders typically give out, um, going in at that, that amount. Um, and then also, Besides that, you never really want to ask your funder for your full budget amount. If it costs $250,000 to fund your organization, especially if it's a foundation, if it's a government grant, it's typically okay to ask for the full amount. But for a foundation grant, you never want to ask for the full amount of your budget. It's one of those insider secrets that as a grant writer, I would use, and it really does increase your success rate because a funder is not interested in funding your nonprofit. I've said this before, and I'm going to continue to say it. A funder is not interested in funding your nonprofit. A funder's goal is to fund their um, is to fund their goals, right? So if their goal is to end cancer, that's what they're concerned about. They're not concerned about what your organization's goals are. They're looking to partner with nonprofit organizations who can help them achieve their goals. So if you're budget is $250,000 and you're asking for $250,000, then you're asking the funder to fund your nonprofit. And they don't want to do that. They believe that their goal is to fund programs. So don't ask for $250,000. Ask for $100,000 or $125,000. And then the funder feels like, okay, they get it. They understand that a nonprofit is a business. It's just a business with a philanthropic purpose. And so they don't expect me to cover their business costs. We've covered this in earlier episodes, but I'm going to reiterate it. So that's one of the insider secrets. Do not ask a funder to fully fund your organization. Provide them with a budget that is a portion of your annual budget, just the program costs. All right. So that's that for that. The other thing that I want to um, encourage you to do is to, number one, create your collaborations before it's time to submit the proposal. So more and more funders are requiring organizations to have collaborators. Why? Because there's so many organizations in the same geographical area, they want to get as much bang for their buck as possible. And quite frankly, it's a good deal, right? 
If you have an expertise and a neighboring CBO has an expertise that's different than yours, that collaboration is going to make what you put into the community even stronger. But here's the thing. What typically happens is you'll read the RFP and it says, you know, you need to have a collaborator. You'll call up somebody and say, hey, do you want to collaborate on this grant? And they're like, yes. And then you are stuck with them for an entire year. If they are cray cray, you are stuck with them for a year. If they don't carry their weight, if they're lazy, if they're trifling, you are stuck with them for a year. What is the solution? Get to know the organizations in your community and work with those who are responsive, who deliver on their promises. You want to create your collaboration far, far, far um, in advance before you submit a grant. I'm telling you, there's nothing worse than you being the lead, having to deliver on these promises and your collaborating partner not showing up carrying their weight. So insider secret, create your collaborations way before the proposals are due. Um, and I would do something small just to get to know them like, Hey, you know, um, can we partner on this program? Um, I'd love to offer your, your students X, Y, and Z, just so you can get to know, to know them and their work ethic. And then finally get to know your program officer. So many people are afraid of their program officers. Listen, your program officer should be your best friend. Why? Because the program officer's role is to support you. But the program officer's role also is to advocate for you. When the board of the foundation meets, the program officer is responsible for a portfolio of nonprofits. And so when you submit your um, monthly reports, it is that officer's responsibility to report out to the board. So you want to have a great relationship with your program officer. And how do you cultivate that? You call them every month and you say, hey, Amber, just wanted to let you know we have an exciting event happening this month. We'd love for you to come out and check it out. Um, hey, Amber, um, just wanted to let you know we has we have amazing success story we wanted to share with you. Five of our youth graduated from this program or we placed 15 people. Yes, it's in your report, but you want to have that rapport because that program officer is the one who's going to advocate for you or who's going to say to the board, eh, eh, right? So you always want to turn in your reports on time. You want to give them plenty of things to just rave about you about. But it starts with actually knowing your program officer and making sure that they love you. My program officer loved me. She'd be all, Amber, can you show up at this? Yes. Amber, is it possible for you? Yes. There was nothing my program officer couldn't ask me that I wouldn't give her because I knew that she was my advocate in front of the board. And when they had discretionary money, guess who got it? Amber. Why? Because I had a relationship with my program officer. They're not the mean people. They're there. Their role there is to support you. So insider secret number three, make sure that you have a really good relationship with your program officer. Now, listen, I know this is a lot of conversation and I'm, and I'm talking at you and it's kind of challenging. Um, but I want you to hear like the golden nuggets because when you're sitting down and you're writing your grants, um, it can be a bit overwhelming, but if you're looking at it from the perspective of how can I strengthen my, my, my proposal, um, I think that's going to help alleviate a lot of pressure as opposed to looking at, I got to get this grant. I got to get this money. How can I best tell my story? 
telling your story begins with number one, having some data, right? Um, if you're, if you are trying to convince a funder that they should fund you, it needs to be backed up by data, not just your opinion, not just your experience, but data statistics, um, something that's stated by someone with a PhD that is going to strengthen your, um, your narrative, right? All right. So we are talking about um, insider secrets. We're on the A side and I'm sharing with you insider secrets from the grant writer's perspective. I've got more for you on the other side of, of this commercial. So we'll come back and we'll continue with um, Grant Writing 101. Nonprofits are building a better future for everyone. Whether your organization focuses on bringing clean and safe drinking water to everyone on the planet or caring for people in your local community, nonprofits like yours are making a difference every single day. But nonprofits also face a unique set of challenges. How to manage volunteers and operations on a limited budget. How to raise awareness about your organization and mission through storytelling. And how to drive more engagement from donors to fundraise for your nonprofit. We believe that every nonprofit should be able to focus more energy on making an impact. Our mission at Google for Nonprofits is to equip nonprofits with the best of Google tools at no charge in more than 60 countries around the world. Your nonprofit can collaborate and communicate more effectively with smart, secure business apps from Google Workspace. With Gmail, your nonprofit employees and volunteers can send email from your nonprofit's custom domain. Teams can stay connected from different locations by using Google Meet and Chat. And you can access and collaborate on documents from anywhere with Google Drive. Increase your productivity so you can spend more time serving your cause or community. Through Google for Nonprofits, Eligible organizations can receive free advertising to run ads on Google Search with Ad Grants. Ad Grants enables your organization to appear in ads on Google Search when someone's searching for topics related to your mission. Your nonprofit can receive free advertising to raise awareness, reach donors, and recruit volunteers. Tell the story of your organization through video to create an emotional connection to your cause. With YouTube, nonprofits can expand their audience, reach new supporters, and connect viewers to their mission. And finally, imagine that your donors and supporters could see exactly where their donations are making a difference. With Google Earth and Maps, nonprofits can create compelling custom maps that help tell their story to the world. Nonprofits are changing the world. We are here to help. Learn more at google.com slash nonprofits. Welcome back. You're on air with Amber, and this is the part of our episode when I get to hear from you. This Ask Amber section allows you to ask me your most pressing questions, and um, yeah, I get to share with you uh, my knowledge, my insider information. So Let's hear from um, one of our listeners now. You're on air with Amber. Hello, Amber. This is Rafael, and I'm calling you from Santa Ana, California. Just curious, do you pay for any grant databases or grant subscription services? And if not, 
how do I go about searching for such grants? Thank you. I really enjoying the podcast. Thank you. I'm really enjoying, you know, being in the space with community and sharing my, my information. So Raphael, that's a great question. I do get it a lot. Um, I don't uh, subscribe to databases. I never have. And I think it's because, you know, as a grassroots nonprofit, we just didn't really have the budget for it. Um, when I worked for cooperative extension, we did have a budget and that was back in what, 1999. And, you know, that's when they had the, the, the CDs or the DVDs. And so it was just so cumbersome. And I, I, I just didn't, um, I usually just Google, um, I Google, you know, whatever the topic is. So I'll Google youth development and then comma grants and then whatever zip code I'm looking for or whatever city. And typically I'll get enough of um, a response or, you know, I'll have so many that I, I just go through each one. Now, interestingly enough, during the pandemic, I could not find any good grants with doing a Google search. So I did leverage Grant Watch, um, and they had, I mean, like they kept me alive. I don't know if you guys remember me telling you, but I had so many nonprofits that were scrambling to just survive, and I couldn't find anything on Google. I don't know what it was, but Grant Watch had some really great opportunities that weren't coming up on Google. Um, but generally speaking, I would just Google whatever the topic is, followed by comma, followed by the zip code or the city, or you could Google grant makers, whatever the topic is, and then whatever the city so that you can refine it. And you should get uh, a nice plethora of responses that'll start it off. If you, I mean, I'm not against subscriptions. I just think that um, I would rather for my money to go in other places because I can get some really great responses from a Google search. I mean, there are sites like um, grants.gov. If you're interested in government grants, those tend to be um, a little hellacious. So um, I wouldn't recommend those for startups, but for those individuals or organizations that are a little bit more developed, grants.gov, they have a whole host. Um, but yeah, just try Google. That should get you um, plenty of, of responses. Thank you so much for your question. And if you have a question for me, feel free to hit me up on my social media platforms. Um, on Anchor, you can leave uh, an audio. Um, you can always email me at amber at amberwin.net, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Leave me your, your question and I'll be happy to, to answer it on air. All right. So now we get to go to my most favorite part of the episode when I highlight our um, nonprofits. Nonprofits are doing the work and often they're doing so much work that they're not really out there promoting themselves. So that means that potential clients and potential funders may not get to see that the amazing work that they're doing. This episode's nonprofit is um, a staple in our community. And they really showed up for us during the pandemic when things were extremely bad. Things are bad for people all of the time. But during the pandemic, we just really experienced some unbelievable, um, unbelievable hard times. So 
the LA Regional Food Bank um, has been around since 1973 and it's worked to mobilize resources in the community to alleviate hunger and has distributed more than 1.8 billion pounds of food. For people who are struggling and can't make ends meet, um, the food bank has just been there for so many people. So today I want to put the spotlight on LA Regional Food Bank. The core work of the food bank is to acquire food from a variety of sources. Farmers, retailers, manufacturers, the USDA, and others donate food to us on an ongoing basis. We bring this food in to our two distribution centers in South LA and Vernon, where volunteers help us sort this food and get it ready for distribution. Our partner agency network is serving people throughout Los Angeles County. Food pantries, children's programs, senior programs reach 300,000 people each month who seek food assistance. We couldn't do this work without the support of the community, donating funds, food, and volunteering to help achieve our mission. If you'd like to learn more about how to support the food bank and its mission, visit lafoodbank.org. Again, I'd like to thank LA Food Bank for all that they do to support families and individuals in need in LA County. Thank you so much. All right, so as we wind down, um, we have, well, I have an opportunity to share with you some of the things that are just mulling around in my head, um, and it's called Mindset Minute. And it's when I just pause to share with you some of the things that I think are important and perhaps maybe people don't think about, right? For this Mindset Minute, I want you to consider this. There are more applications than there is money. As a funder, I can share with you that there are more applications than there is money. If we could fund the entire um, submission, sometimes we have enough to fund five and we get 125 applications. Why is it important for you to understand that? Um, because sometimes, unknowingly, Founders go into writing grants as if, I don't know, like they're the only ones submitting. This is a competition. And because it's a competition, you want to go in and represent yourself, right? Because the other thing is when we read your grants, trust and believe, we remember. If it's a shoddy grant, we're like, what the heck were they thinking? Did they just wake up in the morning and throw something together? And then when we're in the room with other funders, we have those conversations. I'm just keeping it real. So you want your application to be the very best that it can be. I never, ever, ever write a grant in two weeks, unless it's like, um, like a 750 word grant or a two pager. But I'm saying for real proposals, I will never, ever write a grant within two weeks. It's not enough time to put together a quality submission. And people do it all the time. Oh, I've got to write a grant this week. No, give yourself ample time to put the proposal down and to have fresh eyes so that you can, you know, catch the mistakes because that is your rep, rep that is your reputation. And you are competing against other people who understand that writing grants is not a numbers thing. It's not. People mistakenly believe you've just got to submit enough and you'll hit. Writing grants, successful grants anyway, is a quality thing. If you have a quality proposal, then you increase your chances 
of winning proposals. So make sure that you give yourself enough time, ideally at least 30 days. Now, sometimes you don't get enough, you know, notice for that, but ideally 30 days because you want to write it, let it sit, have fresh eyes, edit it, go back in, change it, edit it, right? The key is in editing, making sure that you're answering every question. For example, sometimes there are two part questions, right? And you'll only answer one. You'll catch that in an edit. So just remember, there are always more applications than money. You want to bring your A game. You want to represent your organization and you want to outdo your competition. So if theirs is sloppy and they don't answer all the questions and yours is tight and you come in with it fully edited, crisp, then you're going to, you're going to make that cutoff mark because there's a cutoff mark. At some point we can't give out any money. So those shoddy, poorly written ones, those are the ones that don't get funded. And those ones where people really took the time to make sure that their questions were answered and there were no typos. Those are the ones that are going to get funded. All right. So that's really all I have for this episode. We talked a little bit about insider secrets and I shared with you some of my secrets that I use to be successful as a grant writer. Um, the A side. In the next episode, we're going to um, call it the B side. We're going to share some insider secrets from a funder's perspective. So thank you for spending time with me today and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Head over to www.amberwin.net slash podcast for the links and resources mentioned in today's podcast. See you next time.